Welcome to Diverse Tech Founders, a podcast about the one thing older than capital, people like you and me. Now here's your host, Abraham J. Williamson. Awesome. So this one's a little bit different. Ramsey has me in his studio Hell this yeah. time around, so I'm a guest on the show. But honestly, I'm happy about this one because you're going to get something you've never gotten before this time around. We have Ramsey Abdock here who is going to break it all the way down for yeah. us. But let's get started with getting to know this brother. So tell us, where did you grow up? Uh, so I grew up in uh, between Maryland, uh, so Upper Marlboro, PG County. Uh, when I was first born, it's the largest population of Ethiopians outside of Ethiopia and D.C. So, you know, got to be from D.C., got to rep my, the DMV. Uh, and then I, when I was about 10, I, like 2001, I moved to, to Memphis, Tennessee, so I grew up here. You know, happy to rep my city, like 901 all day, every day. I wish you could see the studio. There's a lot of technology and cords and non-cords in here, a lot of keys. Where did it all start for you, man? Where did this tech background come from, the interest, the desire? Because clearly it went from a small spark to a gigantic flame. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's a hard question to, like, trace it all back to, like, one little thing. Like, you can talk about Legos and you can talk about, you know, like, little circuit boards and stuff as a kid. But I guess for me it was, like, you know, back in the day your parents would get a computer and they would upgrade and then that computer would be left over. They're like, yeah, do, yeah, do whatever you want, right? I used to break that computer like on the regular, you know, just like, I don't know, like mess with the files and like install and reinstall and like, you know, I, and then my, my uncle would fix it and then he would bring it back. And he kept fixing it and bringing it back, fixing it and bringing it back. And then at some point they stopped calling him to fix it. And they're like, yo, like he called, he's like, what's wrong? Like Ramsey usually breaks it by this point. He's like, oh, he learned how to fix it. <laughs> and so that's how it all started, you know, just like fixing computers and like, you know, I think that curiosity of, like, this digital interface and everything, I just, like, used to read all the files on the computer and just be, like, you know, random configurations of things. And then, you know, here I am, like, 20-some-odd years later. So that's kind of like uh, the elementary school version. When did you get to middle school when it came to tech? Uh, so I started coding when I was around, like, 11 or 12 uh, in high school. Uh, and, like, late middle school, I was like, okay, like, this coding thing's good, like, I got to make video games, duh. Like, that's what every young kid wants to do. So I was like, let me figure that out. And my first program ever was, like, a tournament randomizer for Super Smash Brothers. I was like, oh, we're going to play tournaments, so we got to, like, set up the tournament equitably, right? Uh, and, you know, everybody's always trying to, like, finesse something, right? I'm like, no, no, let's let the computer do it. And so I set that up. Yeah, through high school, I was, like, coding. did a bunch of, like, math and coding competitions and science competitions, and then I uh, started making, like, websites, you know, the MySpace, the Neopets, like, the, you know, that all those things, like, fueled this progression of learning how to use all the tools. That's quite a story. It sounds like once you got a taste of it, you, you couldn't take your, you, you couldn't take your teeth out of it anymore, and that's what's up, and it's yeah. clearly, it's, it's been consistent through today. Why don't you now tell us what you're up to? Like, what's going on, and what is, like, what are you most excited about, you know, these days? Uh, sorry about that. Um, I'll get the check is, is going off all the time. <laughs> yeah, these days uh, I have been doing a lot of like tech consulting. You know, I, I worked at McKinsey for four years uh, in a group called McKinsey Digital Labs, and we really started this wave of like DevOps and I would say kind of cloud computing and how some like you know industries like banking and insurance kind of accepted those policies and things. And so now I'm working on bringing that same energy to some startups of friends that I've. That have like finished grad school and other kinds of um, you know kind of post collegiate 
studies and now have found like an idea that they want to work on really leveraging my years of startup experience so let's dig into that yeah. a little bit more we we at the surface we took one scoop now i'm trying to like set out the parameters the <laughs> diameters so we can dig deeper yeah. what is that technical solution that you're providing to people we understand that you learn how to destroy yeah you learned how to build yeah now you're problem solving for other folks what does that look like for you yeah i mean i think for me the most important thing about technology and working in technology is teaching people how to have teams that are allowed to grow and scale organically but i think uh, generally like technology concerns come second to the business right and teaching people how to speak the correct language in the business from the technology side so they can have like both their voice heard and like the business can grow together in that way right i'm always fighting for a dev who's like sitting like you know head into code all day long but trying to show them that there's a business that they're serving it's not just code that they're slinging and then to the business person like you can't just throw something over the wall and expect it to be built and delivered the way that you expect right by magic it's a it's like a translator position really more than anything else so i was on a panel today we were talking about this before the show uh, for high school students talking to them uh, during their career day and one of the other panelists was a project manager. Uh, some people may call her uh, in other spheres of a product manager, project manager. Yours role sounds a little bit different from that. So what is the difference between sort of a project manager, product manager, and what you do? Yeah, so I mean, I guess if you think about it, there's like the kind of agile methodology and like scrum methodology, something that like, you know, all these consultants are going around talking about all the time. But I, I think that like the, the crux of it is like this like holy, holy trinity, right? I, you know, I don't mean to be blasphemous by any means, but, you know, like uh, it, it's the idea that there's one person solely responsible for the product itself, right? The definition of this product, the feature set, uh, engaging with customers, that's the product manager. Then there's like the tech lead who would be kind of like myself, right? That tech lead would be responsible for understanding how, how something is built. Right, right. I think there's the product, which is again the what, then there's the how for the developer, and then the designer is it's really the why, right? It's like kind of figuring out, hey, how are we serving this particular need and defining what we're building, and how does that like specifically in in a kind of unique, advantageous way solve this in a way that's better than you know kind of before. Right? So give us an example about somebody you worked with who was struggling or succeeding, and you helped them kind of elevate into the stratosphere. Yeah, oh man. You know, one of the first companies that I worked for was this, it's in the defense space, right? So like, it's a lot of data, right? And it's a lot of ugly data, right? And so there's this one guy who was out of Austin, super nice guy. He was the only tech person involved. They thought that they had this triumvirate, right? They had the tech guy, they had the product guy, they had another product guy. They were like, oh, we don't need design. And this guy had been building in his garage basically for like, five years straight by himself and had to like figure out how to like build a team around it because they just got a bunch of funding right and this happens to all of us right if you're bootstrapping your company the first thing that you're going to save on is hopefully development if you, if you have those skills and when you get out of that space right a lot of people struggle because it's like how do i introduce people all to all the concepts that i build how do i um, explain kind of like what we're trying to get after, how, how our style works, all this kind of stuff, this way of working, right? Um, and then you, on top of that, add, like, you know, the cloud and all these new technologies. And imagine this person, this person was 60 years old, okay. right? So, you know, they've been around the block. They think they know everything, right? So coming in, especially as a young black dude, just being like, yo, 
this is how it's going to be. And they're like, what do you mean? Like, I've been doing it this way my whole life. And I'm like, no, like, and it's not even about setting up a, a challenge for them, like, or, or a tough situation. It's really just about being like, I want your life to be better on the day to day. I want to have fun. Like, let's get to that fun instead of like diving so deep into like just the weeds, you know? So that's, that's kind of worth it. That's a good example. So who are your best customers? Like, if you're listening to this right now, you're like, yo, I like this guy, Rim. I know you're going to buy some other names because you're the tech guy and you got the tech tech names yeah, to go with it. Absolutely. But if you're listening to this and you want to hire you yeah. or be on your team, who is the best candidate for that? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's probably best if I'm helping kind of a, like, not super, super early stage company, but someone that, like, has a well-established idea, maybe even some revenue. And then somebody who's trying to scale from, you know, maybe 15 employees to 150 employees, right? You know, that 10x, like, the bottom of the hockey stick for a lot of these companies, right? Like, I, I'm trying to make sure the hockey stick is as tall as possible, right? You know, this tangent's got to be real high, you know? Because for me, it's like, that was the most exciting part of my own businesses, right? It was, I, I personally, like, none of the companies that I founded have, like, really had the hockey stick growth. But, like, companies that I've been involved in, like, the last company I went with, we were doing cybersecurity and we were analyzing, you know, different websites every day and running, you know, jobs to do this analysis. We ran about 100,000 to a million jobs a day. And eight months after I joined, we were running a billion jobs a day, right? And so it's, like, doing that infrastructure in a way that doesn't, like, break the bank is really important. And, like, giving people the tools to to operate today those are the stakes if you're gonna if you're gonna compete you know so what's it like pitching that to potential clients or customers like what's it like pitching and i'm gonna ask this in two parts yeah. what's it like pitching in general and what's it like being involved in this space when you have a day job <laughs> yeah i mean i often don't pitch you know that's that's like and i don't mean to like flex or anything like it's so ridiculous you know but my my thing that I usually find that, like, if somebody's going to be perceptive and open to the kind of, like, fundamental digital transformation work that I'm trying to do for their business, they're going to hear from somebody else. It's like word of mouth. Like, oh, like, this guy knows how to do this, right? Because you always get to the point where it's like, I have too much demand, right? And they need to change that. And they could, there's a million different places that they could go and get, you know, like, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know. There's, there's these services exist, right? I, I'm really looking for somebody who like understands exactly what they want, right? And is willing to make like, you know, pretty significant changes in the way that they do business, right? Because, you know, I think it was, it was so crazy. Like one of my friends that I'm working with right now, he is running a sports API, right? And I was like, hey man, like we're going to change out the way that you're running everything. We're going to use Docker containers. We're going to use Fargate and all these other AWS services and stuff like that. He's like, but it works, man. Like, what do you mean? Like, I don't need, I don't know, like, it works today, it only costs me, like, four or $500 a month. I was like, four or $500 a month? Like, what are you talking about, man? You, you don't even have users. <laughs> like, you're, you're hemorrhaging money, and you don't have revenue, and it's crazy. And I'm just like, I, like, did all the changes, whatever, and then we looked at the, the monthly costs, under 100 bucks, right? And they're scaling up to all the users that they have today. So it's like, if you, you know, you can run a scalable business that operates potentially at the scale of, like, hundreds of thousands of users concurrently, but if you're not ready for that on a scale-wise, like from a scale perspective, I think that's, you know, sometimes we're not ready for virality. You know what I mean? We have all of the culture and everything in our hands. We have the value, right? But when you try to actually distribute that value to millions of people at once, 
that's where people get out of their league. They're like, what do I, what am I doing? Right? I can't, can't use Etsy, <laughs> like, you know? And so I'm just like, oh, don't worry. Like set up a distributed messaging queue, do this, do that, blah, 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 you know? And it'll happen. So you're there as not just the backstop, but really the pitcher. So give them the ball because people think that they want it, they think they're ready for it, but with a fourth of the cost, you were able to scale it. It sounds like a million X, almost if they were at zero with their millions. So that's what's up. I want to talk about co-founding, right? Because I was in um, an angel investment group. Angel investment group, definitely check it out Absolutely. if you haven't. It's a dope course. There's an episode on it as well. In that course, one of the speakers mentioned that having a co-founder was a positive if you're running a regression analysis on if you want to invest in a founder. I've invested in co-founder teams and single founder, sole founder. What should you be thinking about when you're constructing your team? I mean, you're coming in out of the team as a solo. Where is your co-founder? Do you need a co-founder when you encounter a team of co-founders as a solo founder? Yeah. What does that look like? Wow. Yeah, solo founders are hard. It's a hard pill to swallow for me. And and, and I, I don't even come solo, to be totally frank. Like I you know, I know what I'm good at and I know what I'm not good at, right? I'm not I'm not great at design, right? I'm not I'm not good at design, let me be real. I'm not good at design. So I have people that I help that help me with design. And I think that like uh in general, like co founders are really important. Right, like not no one person can do every job. Right, I think one thing that I always tell anybody that I'm mentoring or otherwise is like scale yourself. Right, that's the biggest lesson that anybody can can learn. Oh, I can scale this technology, or I can scale, you know, you know, I can I can raise more money, I can scale my resources and things like that. But it's like you can't scale yourself. Right, there are only so many hours a day. You only have so much expertise, and it's too hard to like write all the run books for a business yourself or you can't come in like i'm just going to write documentation for like six months everybody's going to learn like that's waterfall right you know it's like a pattern that we all know doesn't work you know and for the for certain situations right i don't want to be out here like you know raising raising hell with like with all the waterfall agile people but but yeah i mean i think like finding a co-founder is i think the hardest part of the whole thing right I, i've had i think all of my successes and failures have been because of like a co-founder situation right like a lot of my early like startups i mean i started when i was like 19 right working with co-founders who were like 24 25 or like even 40 and otherwise and like you know you just kind of get bulldozed at that time i didn't really understand i was being bulldozed i was like providing all this value blah 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 but i think that like first and foremost like know your value right you are super valuable and you are on equal terms with other person even if your equity is not right like not equal not right i mean you got to make sure your equity is right 100% but like it, it may not be equal or any of these kinds of things but you need to stand your ground and you guys everybody comes from equal standing right like that's that's what a, a good co-founder relationship looks like and then there's like no i don't know can i say bad words on here <laughs> no bullshit no i just just no bullshit like the, like you have to be straightforward and you have to everybody has to understand the other's intentions going into that situation right but then don't also like another big thing is don't carry dead weight right this is the hardest thing i think for especially young founders to understand is like if the, if it's not working you gotta say something you don't have to just put up with it because they're your boy or like they're your mentor right or your parent or your like spouse you know what i mean you like i my parents have worked together for almost 40 years, you know, like waking up next to each other, going to sleep next to each other, working together every single day, seven days a week, right? So it can work. I've seen it work, you know, with the person that you sleep next to. But like, even my best friend of like a decade, 
you know, I, by the end of working with them, I couldn't stand them. I had to move out of my apartment type, you know, like, you know, because we were trying to, like, save money and have our own little, like, working space. I, I don't know. I just feel like there's so many different scenarios where, you know, you feel this emotional bond to somebody, but, like, you're running a business. I understand what that business is before you go and get mixed up with all this other stuff. Because, you know, your first inkling is to, like, take family and build a family, right, so that we can all, like, grow together, right? But, like, you know, there, there are boundaries. Those boundaries are what's going to make you succeed more than, you know, just bringing everybody in. This next question is about your money management skills. Mm-hmm. It's going to test you, and I know it's going to be a test that you'll pass, given your background. I hope so. Uh, but, <laughs> but let's say you get a, a windfall. Yes. Not a waterfall, but a windfall of a million dollars in cash, no uh, strings attached to it, yeah. there's no kind of obligation to pay it back, nobody's looking for a return on it, you yeah. just find a million dollars in a bag. In fact, there was a story yeah. about a faith-based leader who was preaching about what they would do if they had a million dollars. There was somebody in the audience and gave them that million. Yeah, yeah. Jim, that's you in this moment. Yeah, yeah. What do you do with that money? Because my life's changed so much and I've relocated to Memphis and I'm really looking at how I can engage in the city, right, and draw draw people in Memphis to understand the value the same way that I'm trying to describe. And, and I mean value, I think, outside of the city of Memphis. We're all valuable to each other. We're very genuine. We love each other. But you know, I think one of the things is, like, well, how, how can we monetize this? How can we bring money into Memphis, right? Like, not not to say that we have to be so capitalistic about kind of, like, my engagement here or any of that kind of stuff, but just, like, I want to bring all of... I want to... I want to be like the forefront of that reverse brain drain that we've seen both in the diaspora community and Africa in general. Like, why not same kind of thing here, right? So back to the question, million dollars. I would probably split it in half, right? Take half of that million and start a fund, a half a million dollar fund here in Memphis, Tennessee, as much as possible funding black founders, right, of, you know, all creeds and colors and, and really focusing on just like the, the groundwork, right? Like, how do you start a business? I, I don't even care about people failing. I want people to fail. I failed so many times. <laughs> like, you know, I, I, like, this hasn't been, like, this is very much not, you know, sunshine and rainbows all the time. You know, it's it's a lot of, like, hard work and, and really suffering, you know, through, through like, pain of, like, trying something really hard, putting everything into every, into something. Because you got to put everything. You're working 90, 100-hour weeks. You're, never, you're not sleeping, not eating. You're constantly switching your attention between, like, begging people for money basically and you know trying to find out how to like build something so i I would just say i want people to experience that whatever it is you know you want to start like a bring your own fruit you know smoothie spot boom got you two hundred fifty thousand dollars it's like micro loan attitude low interest rate like if, if, if it's a loan situation but or just like yeah again no string attached you know equity investments in, in different companies right and show people it doesn't matter you don't have to have a valuation of it Two hundred million dollars, like you could have a hundred thousand dollar business. You know what I mean? But if it serves the community, that's perfect. So I'd start there, and then on the other hand, I'd have five hundred thousand dollars. I think I would probably spend half of that on building out as much as I could of like a gaming studio, because uh, I just want to be making games. Like that's my dream still. You know, I haven't changed since I was a young kid. Like that's why you see all this in front of you. Like I just want to make toys, and games, and have a workshop like a just inventor like Geppetto's my like I stand Geppetto, you know. And then uh and then the other half I think I really want to set up like a physical space for people to just like DJ and eat like a cafe or something like that. Or just like help somebody start that. 
and I'm talking about like open all the time. Like I want it to be like more or less 24 hours, right? Like till late in the night, whatever people can come. There's always DJs spinning vinyl all the time. It's just centrally located in Memphis. I don't think that's expensive. I don't think that's hard, right? But it's just about like surrounding the right, surrounding that space with the right people, right? You know, I've heard so many different things about other artistic endeavors or otherwise in Memphis that you know have a, a variety of challenges. But if I don't like try in that, I'll never really know what's what it's about. So, so yeah, half to this fund, right? We'll call it some some good. <laughs> I, don't know, I can't come up with anything right now, but start this game studio and be able to pay people the right. Like I want to pay people properly. I'm trying to pay you what you would get on the coast or anything like that. Like there's no reason that anybody here should be paid anything less than what I was paid when I was working in San Francisco or in New York or any of that kind of stuff. People here are actually much better, much more receptive, much more collaborative developers I've seen in my experience. So I'm like, why wow, you deserve the best, right? And then the other half, building out the physical creative space. And I think that's a really ch- it's a huge challenge now, right? But I think, you know, we're, uh, we're feeling hopeful about the future and I think that we got to be ready for what that is. Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button. This podcast is made possible by listeners just like you. So thank you for subscribing. And now, back to the show. What's the most profitable piece of advice you see? Okay, so I'm going to define profitable first. So I'm going to say profitable in aggregate as something that's not only profitable monetarily, but like for your soul, right? There's like your health, your mental health, your body's health, and then there's like... It, ethereal concept of health right everything around you that you can control or not control you can keep your energy right you know what i mean the thing that gave me the most energy was when you're red hot in any situation right you're like at the absolute top of of your career right especially earlier in your career when you've like put in you know three or four years somewhere be like jordan did you know at the top of your career because that's when you have the momentum I think to to catapult your career past whatever is next, right? Like when you feel like you have that momentum that like you're soaring within the business and you feel like everybody wants your attention, that's it. You gotta peace out. Did. <laughs> and 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 this is a so, <laughs> this is a really specific consulting or like early career moves, you know what I mean, right? Like I felt like there was I often was like, Okay, I need to be a soldier I need to put my head down, no matter if it's difficult or it's something that I don't really want to do. It's like the right thing for me, you know what I mean? And and at some point in my career, I I like was doing really well at that, but I was just like, what am I doing? You know, I'm, I'm, I can't just keep putting in reps. I'm just gonna be swole and bored. Like that that's that's what I mean, right? That that's that to put it all together, you know what I mean? It's like you put in your reps and you 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 build against someone else's idea of what success is, right? You enable someone else's vision, right? Once you've done that and that person really needs you to like it, to do that vision, but you know that like that void can be filled by somebody else, it's your obligation to challenge yourself to do something that you can't do. Always, always, always be moving on to whatever is next. I mean, make sure that you learn what you need to learn, like the bulk of it, right? But if you're if there's diminishing returns and you know that you're the man here, then leave and be, you know, a freshman like somewhere else. I just find that's like so many of the people that I interact with from school I don't know they, they struggled when not when they left school and went into their beautiful careers in different places, but as they were making their first career jump, right? Their next, their to like, you know, I've been an associate here for Mad Long. I want to be a director somewhere else. Like, make that jump if you're not like totally afraid that you're not 
like worth it or that you can't do it when you go to get a new job or you're going after a new job. You're not going, you're not shooting high enough. You know what I mean? That That's really what I'm trying to say. It's like, shoot higher. Don't ever become complacent because there's always higher. Um, so I'm advising, as I was saying before, a sports betting API uh, called Sharp Sports. Uh, it's uh, Sharp Sports at IO. We pivoted twice, like strong pivots. You know? Initially, we were trying to figure out kind of like the the like coordinates of the sports betting legislation in order to understand like how to build like funds or other things around kind of sports betting right which you know a mutual fund around sports betting like they have mutual funds for cryptocurrency and stuff like that why can't you do that for sports betting then we pivoted over to working in really kind of like sports analytics aggregation right so like really figuring out how to scrape analytics from nba nfl mls like UEFA, all these people, and provide a data source, and then people just wouldn't pay for it. COVID hit, sports are dead, nobody's really used this information anymore, and then all the analytics before, quote-unquote, the bubble for NBA specifically, like, doesn't really matter, you know, like, those, those um, statistics don't really, I mean, they do matter, of course, right, but they're not going to be as predictive, they don't have the same predictive power in the bubble as they did outside of the bubble, right? You know, we finally pivoted to another thing where we realized, like, oh, since we've built all these connectivities to all these different data providers, these sports books, we can just provide people access to all those places that we've already connected to. And immediately, people were just, like, giving, cold calling us. They're like, hey, we heard you guys are an API for this thing. We've been thinking about building this functionality. We need to, like, we integrate with you guys. And it's like, yeah, absolutely. You really have to aggressively go after customer feedback, right? Don't build in a vacuum. That's the mistake I made so many times my first startup for sure i mean we were working in the educational space edtech in 2012 had like a five-year lead time or something like that to like really be profitable because you had to like get in with the school system you'd have to catch the cycle of the school year and be working with superintendent it's hard again you're building in a vacuum right so if you keep building in a vacuum you'll never make money because you, you don't actually know if anybody wants this you have to be rigorous about getting customer feedback and that's, again, something that's really clear in the Agile Scrum methodology as, like, the starting point that I, I look to. But then I also, like, have a lot of friends and, and I've engaged a lot of UX designers, UI designers. And it's not even just to, to build user experiences or user interfaces, but to build the experience of surveying customers to really get to understand them well, right? How do you build good personas? How do you get build a good value proposition? How do you build market analysis and otherwise? You have to be much more holistic and, and really get information from that entire triumvirate, that grouping of design, product, and, and dev to build a holistic picture about like what somebody will actually pay for and build that thing. Sometimes you might not be building the thing that you actually wanted to build, but you can get there, especially if it's close, in a complementary feature set about like films. I was very interested in films when I was in school. Some actors are just like, I'll do one for them and one for me. And I really believe in that. I don't know. It's like always resonated with, you know, if you, if you need it, sometimes you just need to make some money, right? Sometimes you need to put money in your pocket. But then once, you know, you, you're doing well and you, you do have something that people want, then you can start to experiment. A subtle plug for the app launch party. My sole goal at those app launch parties, other than to make sure everybody has a good time, is to make sure that there's 100% engagement on the product. So if you have an app, everybody's down here. Everybody's using it. If you have 50 people in a room using your thing, that's quite valuable to somebody. That's because huge. feedback is very expensive. Yeah. And it's right there in the room. People are there to talk to you and give you feedback about it. Uh, it's not a pitch. You are pitching the founder on what would make it better. So I think it's good there. I'm curious, which artist most sort of inspires your work and the 
look to because you have access to a medley of folks the yeah. DJ world and community yeah. and you're pulling from people all the time to figure out how it works from an auditory standpoint but from your own philosophical practical perspective which artist can you draw oh man you asking huge questions man like this is nuts um, but no I guess so artists like musical artists or visual artists so you're not the first one to ask for that clarification. I don't know if you're trying to buy more time or if you just have so many people you want to draw from. I don't want to limit it. Yeah. Because it could be musical artists. People yeah. Can go for the people you're probably typically going to hear. Yeah, yeah. Like the big moguls and the like. Yeah. Some people go from some of the, the underground folks. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it could be visual as well because mm. it's how do you get how do you get locked in yeah. that creative Thanos, I think yeah. you say, uh, you know, among the Greeks. That's what the question is really getting. Wow, that's so intense. <laughs> you know, I guess the first thing that came to mind for me was Jean-Michel Basquiat. I, you know, have the cheesy crown tattoo on my body that I got in New York on St. Mark's when I was trying to punk out or whatever. But no, I, I, I say Basquiat because for a lot of reasons, right? Like, I think it could be very cheesy to get a Basquiat tattoo, right? But I have it on my forearm, this place that everybody gets it. It just reminds me every day that, like, I'm an artist first. Like, let's not forget all this stuff that we're doing in front of us, all the business that we're building, all these, like, relationships that we're, like, you know, making and all this kind of stuff. It's all art, right? You're you're painting on different canvases, whether it's a physical medium, whether it's an audio medium or otherwise, right? Like, the way I carry myself is that, Every part of this is an art, and I'm contributing to all of that art. I'm constantly playing music around me. I'm DJing, or if you're in my house, like music is playing, and that's like building a sonic space. And I think that that was something that Basquiat did a lot as well. And he, you know, clearly was like one of the first big recognized black pop artists. So I think that's really important. He's black. He's blackity black. So much of what his challenge was was being black in that in that space, right? I mean, he was the protege of Andy Warhol, and you know, there's like the factory and like the drugs and the alcohol and all this stuff. Like he was so torn. I think a lot of that is because of like his, his condition, both as a thinker, as an emotionally sensitive person, but, you know, being black and his relationship to his mother and like his lineage and all this stuff. I mean, his life was just like really impactful to me and learning about it, especially as I went through my like emo artist phase in New York and all that stuff. But yeah, I mean, if you, if you really dig deep and you see really the culture that surrounded him, it's this bohemian kind of culture it's this kind of hippie thing right and i think that there's an artistic word that i think really captures kind of the way that i think he approached art which is just like a gesamtkunstwerk which is in german i think it means a holistic piece of art and that's something that i'm always trying to go after it is something that thinks about how someone's condition when they see the art the art itself the smells in the space the touch of the space the sight i mean everything thinking about everything about a person, including their experience and their history as they approach any piece of art is really important and not something that I always try to remind myself about. So in terms of an artist or art form or art in general, yeah, I think Basquiat's a real, a real big one for me. Very and intellectual. That's a mix of speaking of backgrounds. Some yeah. people may think of the background that they have is like luggage that they carry through life. Other people might view it more as a toolbox or a Google toolbox that they carry around that they can open up and use for constructive purposes, whatever they like. In what ways does your background make it easier 
for you to succeed in the space? Oh, man. I think the biggest part of my background that helps me succeed is my parents never having worked for anybody. I guess, you know, they, they've worked with people, uh, but they've always been their own bosses. So my parents are also refugees, right? They came from Ethiopia through Djibouti and Saudi Arabia and then to the States. My dad went through Egypt as well. Like, just crazy stories, you know. And then they ended up in D.C. And, you know, they, they, they worked at 7-Eleven growing up when I was growing up. You know, I'd pull up to the 7-Eleven and be, like, counting behind the, like, helping people, like, you know, behind the counter and stuff like that. And then, like, very early in my life, my parents were like, screw this, like, let's move on. They started their own bodega. That's what I know. My best experiences growing up were just sitting behind the counter at a bodega being like, what you want? Somebody down on their luck or somebody that's, like, totally different from me or whatever. And they're just, you know, I'm providing them food or nourishment or whatever, you know what I mean? Like, whatever they need. That was where I learned how to just interact with everybody. You can't come into that situation with any kind of attitude. You know, you're, they're trying to buy from you. You know what I mean? You're the seller in this situation, right? And so you just have to be humble but firm. You know, this is the price. You know, they're like, no, man, let me get like, a, you know, let me give you a quarter less or something. It's like, no, no, no. This is the price. You know. And I was a kid. I just didn't. I didn't know any better. <laughs> you know, that was like the part of the my heritage that really like taught me the most right my parents were like you like know your value know the value of a dollar and know that like if you serve people with a smile right no matter what you're doing whether you're their boss or their customer or their colleague right just every every day has to start exist and end with delight you know like that i'm always just trying to have a good time right like and and we do hard work right i do work like where you know, it's like verification for a bank. Like, if you get this wrong, this person loses their whole bank account, right? We don't play games with that. But if you go to work with that stress that, like, if I mess up, this person's going to lose, like, their house or something like that, then, you know, I think that that can be incredibly discouraging, right? Just know that you're going to do that for them. You're going to do that. You're going to make them smile. You're going to make them happy because you're doing your best. That's how I go into every day. As much as I can, sometimes it's hard to smile. Sometimes it's hard to, like, to be delightful for every day that's not delightful you have two days that are that are even better i think having split my childhood life like i would say up to 20 between maryland and memphis was super helpful because i understood what a city was like i didn't live in the city by any means but like we were close enough right we would pull up go explore dc hang out at the mall and like uh like the national mall or whatever and like you know that it, it was it was packed right not only was it packed but it was also like a beautiful black city i love dc chocolate city right like or is that i don't know if people call it baltimore chocolate city but like yeah i don't even know what these names are but it is a chocolate city and memphis is a chocolate city they're both chocolate cities and that's really important i didn't really understand what that meant i didn't understand that there was anything other than that growing up that helped me to understand when i was here in memphis like something else entirely that's really beautiful here as well and i get to see both of those things. i get to understand this like get on the metro as a 12-year-old and, like, peruse around the city life. And then bowling alley is the spot, you know? Like, everybody pulls up to the bowling alley on a Friday night. And it's, it's a hoot, you know? Like, you know, random people, I don't know, you know, it's just, like, there's, uh, there's something, like, incredibly genuine about the South, about having space to think and to, to, to do, right? I think even New York was the next experience that I had. And I think that I always said when I was in New York, New York is a great place to show work, 
but Memphis is the place to make it. I always, whenever I needed to, like some clarity, like real, real clarity in my life, I would just come back here. You know, and this is where I find that because I have the mental space to find that. But I still have one foot always in the DMV or in New York or somewhere that's just like this gridiron that I that I I love so much. You have to take everything away, but you can only keep one value add. For me, if if there was one part of me that I wanted to like imbue my next thing with. It would be like an inclusiveness, let's say, right? It's such a trite word, I think. That's why I don't want to say it. I'm trying to build an A1 development team that looks like a real group of people, right? How many times have you engaged with like a group of devs, especially on a scaled team, and looked at them and been like, this is representative of the population? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's not like, it's just totally ridiculous. Like, you know, I'm so sick of being the only black dude on my team or having no women on my team and all this kind of stuff. It's just, it's not the way that you build good software for society. People are, you can build software to take money out of society. That's easy. I'm going to make Uber for the humane society. You can adopt a pet by making a phone call. That's beautiful. So many people would use it. You put a little 10% on top, you're making money. That's not software for humanity. You're trying to build something where, like, the development, that we're doing is inclusive and really focused on the human customer value. Right? I don't know how to say that. Human value. I'm so tired of building e-commerce platforms and other ways for people to just waste their energy and money on things that, that don't actually affect them. That impact must be on the communities that I care about in order for me to be involved at all. Or you're just putting money in my pocket so I can affect communities later or something, you know what I mean? But I just really think that in, in my next team, the thing that I want to be proud of is having a team of people that can build for our communities because they come from our community. Oh, man. Uh, I think it was my pivot from startups into corporate. Yeah, so I came out guns blazing. I was 19, 2011. I was like, school, I don't know about this. You know, and I was like, let's let's see what else is out there, like what, what else I can do. I started working in the ed tech space because I'm super passionate about education. I tried another company after that that was in... So I'm going to name them, you know, we'll, we'll go through. Jotalog was my ed, ed tech company. That failed. You know, it took me like two years to burn out on that, I think. Then I started a company kind of at the end of that one that was in 3D printing, which was great. It was fun, but it's not, can't make enough money in that right now unless you're building hardware. Then there was this thing called um, Swatch It. I actually won the world's first fashion hackathon back in the day. We won a bunch of money and started a fashion company. That was tight. And then I did another company called Univate. That was another one. That was like a, a social network for doing cross-collaborative work on college campuses. So I was just like in it, right? Uh, this was like, you know, I had already spent like five years in it or something like that, going back and forth uh, from 2011 to 2015. And this is great. I have more ideas in the chamber, but I was just struggling to raise money. And I just, like, there was something missing, you know? There was some level of polish. Like, I knew that I was at Columbia and, like, had left. You know, that was, like, its own story. Definitely appeals to certain people and really doesn't appeal to others, you know what I mean? Especially, you know, being a brother. I was just like, I don't know, man. There's something missing in this, right? Like, I'm not being successful. I'm trying my absolute best. And I actually know how to try, right? Like, having worked at this VC, I was like, I know what it means to raise money. I know what it means to be on the other side of the table, blah, blah, blah. Why can't I do this, right? And I was like, man, are, are people racist? Like, is this, like, what's going on? Like, I, I really didn't know, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I just, I, I was just trying to, you know, like, figure it out. And then I was just like, you know what? Let me just take a step back. Let me go to the peak of operational experience, right? 
in like the most corporate place ever. Like, let me just understand what that means. Because I was just such a gunslinger, code slinging dude. You know, I was like going to hackathons every weekend and just like slinging random things here, doing like random projects to survive and stuff like that. I, I came into work the first day with a hat on. <laughs> and all of them were like, like looked at me all crazy. And like at the end of the day, this lady came up and she's like, yo, don't, don't do that inside. And I was like, oh, my bad, my bad, my bad. You know? <laughs> but I think that like that shine, that wax on, wax off. And I did it for four years. For the first year, it's like, all right, all right. You like learn like table manners, like the blah, blah, blah. You know, just put yourself together a little bit. Kind of chip on your shoulder. That kind of leads to unprofessionalism because you're just, you're like, oh, I'm scrappy, like blah, 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 right? Like sometimes you don't need that energy, right? Like I always thought that was like the only way I was going to survive is to show people like I'm, I think I was playing a role. I think going to McKinsey and working in like a corporate space showed me that it wasn't this role. I, that's just me, you know, like I'm that dude when it comes to technology or whatever and I have to trust my value in that way but I really it didn't all like come together and like marinate in this like beautiful stew until I, I worked in the corporate environment and, I, and it was really just about simmering you gotta simmer you gotta let it you gotta let it rock you know you can't be rushing you know this, if you really want a good soup you gotta let that sit on the pot for a little while and so I would encourage everybody to understand and taste what it feels like to work hard in a startup right like try try your best Figure out an idea and try it. If you don't try it, you're never going to come back to it. You're never going to be like, I feel like all these people who like go to B-School, uh, B-School's maybe a little different, but like they go to all these different like things and they, they get distracted, right? They're like, they lose that, that energy because at some point you can muster that in. And I, I just say like, live that truth, you know? And then, and then just figure out somewhere to, to earn your stripes. And to my previous point, once you've earned those stripes and they really just like, they look at you, they're like, five more years, you're going to be partners, it's going to be dope, right? I'll be like, oh, that's awesome, but like, can I get a wreck? Because I'm about to dip. I'm about to go and actually take all this that I've learned and mature that value into my own project, manifesting my own vision rather than someone else's. Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button. This podcast is made possible by listeners just like you. So thank you for subscribing. And now back to the show. They cramped my style. Don't get me wrong. I was way, way drippier before. No, I'm just playing. Like, <laughs> no, you know, I think so many people think of it as selling out. It's only selling out if you mentally sell out. If you give yourself to this thing wholly and, you know, it doesn't have to be. You could find your career in that space, right? And that's great. Don't knock it until you try it. You sound like you have a very strong foundation. Which communities have been the most helpful and supporting and growing your brand. You know, my family holds me down. Sometimes they're not, I mean, sorry, let me say, let me not start on the wrong foot. They are incredibly supportive. <laughs> they are super duper supportive and, and that's not the case for everybody, you know what I mean, right? But like my parents, you know, I remember the first time I was like, hey Ma, I want to leave Columbia and start a company, right? Oh man, I made a PowerPoint. <laughs> I sat them down, I made a PowerPoint, I had like a point of clicker, and I was just like, yo, here is the analysis, you know? And it's just me, just like, it, it, it had to be that serious for me to put my parents in a weird situation or a weird position, something that was like overly formal, for them to recognize that I really cared about it, that I had the passion to do that and that kind of stuff, right? So I think, especially, you know, if you have a familial unit that, can, that you can lean on like that, Show them that you're passionate and let them support you. Like, they don't really have a choice often, <laughs> you know? In my case, they don't. Like, you know, it's family. You got to love them. Some of them, you know? So that was my 
my foundation for sure. I think some of those long nights, 4 a.m., the day before a demo to a big client, everything's down. I broke everything. You know what I mean? Like those moments I call my mom. She's just like, what? I broke everything. She's like, I don't know. She just stayed with me all night till the sun comes up. She's like, did you, you good? And so that was really tight. You know, I've had so many different squads over the years, you know, and, and through the years they've provided me so much um, in so many different ways uh, and, and taken a lot. Like, let me not lie to you. Like, you know, there's been probably more takers than givers in this whole equation, you know. Some of the people that I rely on the most are the people that I met when I was doing, like, hackathons and people that I, like, interacted with at hackathons in, um, in corporate environments, right? It was something for me that like represented so much freedom, so much of that kind of code slinging like like uh, mentality of just like want something to be built, boom, like close your eyes, like you know I got you, you know. And so um, these people who were like these craftsmen, these software craftsmen, right? I've met like so many throughout the years, bosses, mentors, other people who would just like really care about writing good software, and we've all stayed in touch. And we all have we all play video games together. <laughs> Someone you can go to and say, "Hey, like, I don't really know how to solve this problem," and you know that they're gonna have the answer for you. You know what I mean? Or we all have a Slack Slack room, and like, I'm just like, I can just throw random questions, and I'd be like, "Hey guys, you need to build a chat functionality for this client. I have no idea where to start." They're just like, "Here's an article." right or whatever right that was actually the biggest thing at McKinsey as well it wasn't even about seeing all these different experiences but it was just like this group of people that were craftsmen at their at their thing and like i really believe in that like um like journeyman master like craftsman attitude towards software development you know it's it's a it's a vocation right it's not it's not computer science that's a science it's a theory but development software development is a vocation right it's like a ditch digging exercise you know some people think of it as like this super high skilled thing and i'm just like it's a little different than that you know most of the time let's not say all the time those people that i envied their code right it's like looking at a great piece of art and listening to like great music you're like dang that person's so good <laughs> you know and most of the time especially as like developers you're gonna be silent about that you're gonna be like you know silently like be like oh this is great just add, just tell people like so many people want to flex and be in every industry and be like, oh, I've got the, I got the cheat codes. Like, I'm not going to share them with anybody. If you're not sharing the cheat codes with everybody, no one's having a good time except for you. And then you're lonely. You know what I mean? These people that I rely on now just have all the cheat codes and are so willing to share, right? Because they're, that's what they're passionate about. And that's why we're together. We have a shared passion. Yeah. Speaking of, of squad and units that brought us together, there is one person responsible yes. for bringing us together, our mutual friend, yes. the bomb builder of New York City, a Absolutely. classmate of yours yes. at university. And so shout out to her if she's listening. Absolutely. Appreciate the connect, because otherwise I wouldn't be in this dynamic studio <laughs> <laughs> right now. Uh, so shout out. I appreciate that. How do you think Diverse Tech Founders, aka DTech can help what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to build that craftsman group, right? I think tech is the thing that I'm best at, right? It's my skill, it's my passion. I want to get more people that look like me or, you know, don't look like me, but, you know, I think um, folks who, who struggle to find the same kind of representation in these spaces, I think it's hard to approach somebody and be like, hey, like, can you mentor me? You know, I, I've been absolutely blessed by, like, people identifying me and coming to me for mentor or coming to me to mentor me, 
I've been, that was one of the things that going into a corporate environment, people were, people identified me and we were put together by like the mentorship kind of like uh, orchestration in this business. But even outside of that, if I see, if I go to an art ex- exhibit, I went to Japan, right? I, I was living in Japan and I went to an art exhibit and it was like my, one of my idols, like, you know, like this dude, I've just like gushed over his work for my whole life, right? Not my whole life, but like my whole adult life, you know, like since, since high school. And I, went, I finally went to one of his shows in Tokyo and I was like so excited and I saw him across the room and I'm just like, I gotta, I, what am I going to do? You know what I mean? And I just went over. I just went. I just calmed down. I was like, "Don't, don't trip." And then I just pulled up, and I'm just like, "Hey, man, I really love what you do. Uh, here's my contact information." And so many people think it's awkward or whatever. Or you can like, you know, flip out if you're like standing this person. If it's meant to happen, it's gonna happen, and it's not gonna happen unless you do something about it. You know what I mean? Be fearless about reaching out to people. Like, hit them, and go into their DMs. I mean, be respectful, right? Don't come all crazy. You know what I mean? But if you want to talk to me, I am. You can literally call me any day. 707-Y-O-U-R-N-Z-I. The lines are open. <laughs> like, whenever, you know, listen back. Rewind 30 seconds. Like, I got you. That's the kind of access that I want to be, I want to provide for people, but I don't know who to provide that to, right? I, I haven't really connected with a group of young, especially like founders of color, that, that need my services. Because I'm not trying to make money doing this you know what i mean like again this is fun like i I want y'all to succeed i want us to succeed right i want there to always be and us to succeed that that's really like i'm trying to step back away from just like material gains immediate gains to be like okay like this is nation building we're doing from from our engagements i've been i've been so energized to start to like do this i've been waiting for a moment like this i swear every time i think about a moment to like engage with people like that i always think to myself i have to build this if I'm going to actually be around people that will benefit most from what I'm talking about, I have to build that. And to see that you've already done all that work, I'm like, swag. Like, dumb, easy. <laughs> you know, like, because it's just, you know, I mean, I, I'm so glad to see that you not only have a head start, but it is is done in, in, in such an admirable way, right? Like, what I want to show others is that, like, we, we have the propensity to do better than the best that you can imagine. Right, and, and if it's the beginning of that platform, like let's go. Yeah. Some of you appreciate that. Switching gears a little bit, love this question. Yeah. Powerful question. Yeah. We've been waxing philosophical for a while now. Uh, so I'm curious to know, I'm sure like everybody else is and you know if you're a regular listener what I'm about to ask is but do you want to run a billion dollar company? Why? Or why not? And do I want to run a billion dollar company? All right, I'm gonna ask, I'm gonna answer this in like a cheeky way first, then I'm gonna answer it for real. A billion dollars is not gonna be a lot of money soon. You know, inflation is crazy. Like, y'all, like, look at these numbers. A billion dollars is gonna be a million dollars. It's gonna be a thousand dollars before soon. You know what I mean? So, first, <laughs> secondly, um. You answered. You asked a good question, right? If you had asked if I wanted to be a billionaire, I would say hell no, never. That's nobody that has a billion dollars doesn't have blood on their hands, in my opinion. That sounds crazy. I'm so sorry to say it to some of you billionaires, and I hope to never be a billionaire because I don't need that kind of money. But for now, that's 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 how I feel about it. Do I want to own a billion dollar company? 
perhaps, right? I think there's a billion dollars of value in today's, if you look at counterinflation, blah, 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 a billion dollars today, I think that there is a billion dollar market somewhere in the communities that I care about to, to build. I think it's there, right? And I want to make sure that the beneficiaries of a billion dollar company are mostly people of color. We have a lot of work to do to affect the history of this country frequently uh, disadvantage us. To, to reverse that trend, hell yeah. Does it feel like we've come to the final question? Well, there's a bonus question. Uh, we'll get that right. What's the most valuable thing you do for your customers? I think I bring my whole self to every interaction. For so long, I feel like it was, it was like code switch this or you know hide something that, from someone else or this or whatever, and I'm just done playing all these like, games. Right. If I'm interacting with you, it's blessed in the first place, right? Secondly, if I'm interacting with you, I'm going to give you everything that I have, all of my attention, all of my skills, all of my network, the whole night. Because I don't, there's no reason to hide or not to share that with people, you know what I mean? To the best of my ability, right? Like, I got a lot of stuff going on. But, like, I think in general, it's like, if you're not bringing your whole self to every interaction, right, like, what are you holding back for? Who are you saving it for? You know what I mean? Like, I think so many people want to, like, hold their cards. And I think there are definitely cards to be held. I think if you're going to interact with somebody, give them everything. Give, like, put your phone down, put your guard down, be vulnerable, like, engage with them on an emotional level, share energies with that person. Like, come, come correct. That's what coming correct really means to me, you know? Um, so I just know that, like, in any conversation I'm, I'm having with a person, you know, if, if there's something amiss in that, whether it's, like, our interaction or with them, right, I'm, 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 sensing for them to see if they're having a good time or if there's something else that's stopping them from having a good time in their own personal life i'm not gonna pry but i'm not gonna pretend like the world isn't what i see it as you know i think so many of us especially as like like young black kids gifted black students like otherwise like we always second guess like am i doing right like am i doing am i you know like what's going on and and it's it's it's, it's i don't know for me that time is over right about to hit my 30th year transitioning into whatever new stage of life and i don't want to say playtime is over you know it's always playtime i'm trying to like like you're always trying to enjoy it you know what i mean but i just say that like the time for the time for unnecessary angst and for second guessing and for devaluing yourself that's all like if you're if i'm going to move into the next part of my life i need to bring that energy to everybody that i'm working with so you want to work with me? I, that's what I mean. If you're listening to this and you don't know more about you, you've got to go back and listen to this again. How can people keep in touch with you? Oh, uh, so you, you got my phone number. <laughs> what are we dropping in the show notes? Like, how yeah. can people stay in touch if they want to know more about MG the person, if they want to follow the work that you're doing, your portfolio, your previous work, I mean, moving forward? Where did the roads lead? Yeah, I mean, uh, so I'm at RMCI on everywhere um, i don't i really don't think there's anywhere on the internet that i'm not that maybe like a video game or two or something like but like yeah instagram twitter um uh you can always dm me on either on any of those platforms uh, i'm probably most engaged on twitter or sorry twitter on uh, ig if you hit me in the dms i'm gonna probably give you my phone number i'm a talker on the phone right i can text and all this kind of stuff but it's like like i don't, I don't know I, in that way i'm gonna remain old school like I'm so glad that 
at 30, I can say that I'm doing old school stuff. You guys ever touch a rotary dial phone? Like, <laughs> you know, like, you know, I still like mess with pen and paper and all this kind of stuff. As much as I love technology, you know, I'm spinning records all day. So if you want to talk, just call me, right? Again, that number is 707-Y-O-U-U-R-M-C-I. So, and yeah, you can even text that number. Tell everybody your uh the third person who's in this room. Oh yeah, I got my little kitty cat Fatima. She's chilling. She she goes by Little Tima. That's her rapper name. She's about to drop a mixtape. I got you guys. It's called uh, Everything's a True Toy. She's been working hard, super diligent, long nights. I'm the producer, so <laughs> she's really demanding. But she's got a good ear, you know. She really likes to sample Afrobeat and stuff like that. It's pretty good. Uh, she's my familiar. You know? Smooth. Well, Ramsey, it has been a pleasure. Enjoyed this immensely. And looking forward to seeing where you go from here. Thanks so much, brother. I really appreciate your time as well. Like, you're, you're a shining light with yourself, man. If you guys don't know what's going on in this man's life, please look him up. He's taking over, you know, slowly but surely. Till next time, we'll bid you adieu. Cheers. Thanks for joining this week on Diverse Tech Founders with Abraham J. Williamson. If you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. You can do it right now. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us too. Thanks again.